Um, our first reading is from Matthew chapter 6. Um, Jesus has just told the parable of the sower. And this is what his disciples say. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. That's why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In this is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but didn't see it, and to hear what you hear, but didn't hear it. And the second reading is from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the city lies ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And although a tenth remains in the land, It will again be laid waste. 
but as the terebinth and oak stump leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Thanks, Suz, and good morning, everyone. My name is Mark. If we haven't met, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, I learnt Japanese in primary school. Now, I can't remember much Japanese. I can remember 14 words, and 10 of them are the numbers 1 to 10, so not really a lot to, to get me by. Uh, but I remember one lesson in Japanese class very clearly. Uh, the class after us, so we're a class of older kids, uh, got there a bit early, and they were waiting outside the classroom, making a lot of noise, uh, the Japanese teacher was getting really frustrated, and, and so eventually she, she sent me out. I was sitting closest to the door, so she sent me out to, to go and tell the next class to be quiet. Uh, so I went out there, and there's this class of older kids making all this noise out there, and I went up, plucked up my courage, just, <clears throat> um, everyone, uh, Mrs. Williams wants you to be quiet, because we can't really hear you in there. And there's just this, this one second of silence, and the whole class just burst out laughing at me, one one guy even just pointed at me and went, ha, ha, like Nelson from The, the Simpsons. Uh, I, I look back and I think, what did the teacher expect was going to happen? Like they were just going to listen to me and, and be quiet? Um, I can imagine Isaiah would have felt quite similar to that with the task that he was given. Um, the task of preaching a message to people who are going to ignore it. And although Isaiah's experience here is quite a unique one, we're going to see that it has deep implications for us as well. Uh, we're going to see how Isaiah was firstly convicted, uh, second cleansed, and thirdly commissioned. And we're going to see, as I grab the clicker, <laughs> what his experience means for us today. Um, so firstly, Isaiah is convicted. Uh, we read that in the, the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uh, now, Uzziah had been king of Judah, which was the southern kingdom of Israel, for about for over 50 years he'd been king. Um, and, and he started off as a really good king. He was obeying God, he was doing good things. Um, but then as he became more powerful and successful, he became more and more proud uh, he disobeyed God, and as punishment, God struck him down with leprosy, a, a really bad skin disease. And he, and he had that for a number of years before he died. Uh, so Judah's king is dead, and their future looks really uncertain. Uh, to the north of their border, the Assyrian army is gathering strength, and it's, and it's not going to be long until war is on their doorstep. Uh, and Isaiah tells us, the year the king died... I saw the true king. I saw the Lord. And it's quite the experience, Isaiah tells us, that he sees God high and exalted on his throne. Uh, now, King Uzziah, he hadn't even been allowed to go into the temple because he had leprosy, uh, which made him unclean. Um, in contrast, God here is bursting out of the temple. The, the train of his robe is, is filling the temple. Uh, he's surrounded by seraphim, which, um, to, the, to the best of our knowledge, means um, some sort of flaming angel, uh, which is obviously quite a, quite a unique experience to see. Uh, and the whole temple shakes and fills with smoke uh, as the seraphim praise God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Um, it's, an, it's an overwhelming experience. Isaiah is floored 
by it. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, if you've joined us over the last few weeks in Isaiah, we've seen that Isaiah is proclaiming a message of judgment against God's people in, in Jerusalem who have disobeyed God. Um, he's declaring a message of woe. We, we saw that particularly last week. Woe to you who do this. Woe to you who do that. And yet here Isaiah is saying, woe to me. Woe to me. He knows that he shares in the sin of the people. He's unclean just like them. His lips are unworthy to speak of God. Nothing about him is worthy of the holy God who he's just seen. Uh, Now, when the Bible describes God as holy, what it means is that God is unlike us. He's completely set apart. He's completely other. He's awesome. He's glorious. He's perfect in every way. And so we are just unworthy of being in his presence. Now, it's a bit bit hard to, to fathom quite what that means, now, Alicia and I were doing some wine tasting in the Barossa Valley a few years ago, and um, Barry Hall walked into the, the winery, ex, ex-AFL player. This is one of his more memorable moments on the, the footy field, but um, came along and, and sat down right near us, and, and, and I, I almost dropped my glass as I, as I saw him walk in. I, I spent the rest of the time kind of one sip of Shiraz, one glance at the famous footballer next to me. Um, it, it can be a bit like that when we, when we see someone who's just on the, on the next level of humanity from us. Um, not so to speak. <laughs> but, but being in the presence of God, it's, it's not like seeing a celebrity and, and being a bit shy and, and not quite knowing what to, what to do about it. It's, it's a completely different experience to us. You know, if, if any person can make us feel overwhelmed, how much more being in the presence of God? Um, Isaiah's unworthiness is just laid bare in the presence of a holy God. He's convicted of his sin. He realizes in that moment who he is and who God is, and they're, they're not the same. And, and his response is, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. How can I possibly be in the presence of this God? And the answer to that question is that Isaiah is cleansed. Uh, we read that one of, the, one of the seraphim flew to him with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. Uh, now, you might wonder why a flaming angel needs tongs to pick up a live coal. Um, I don't know the answer to that, but the point here is that the coal comes from the altar in the temple, which is the place of sacrifice. And that's important for, for what happens next, what we see in verse 7. Um, with it, with the coal, the seraphim touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah's guilt is taken away. The guilt that that made him unworthy to stand before God, it's not on his account anymore. His sins are atoned for. All the wrong that he's done has been dealt with. God's anger at him has been set aside. Um, so atonement effectively means at one it means, it means that we're at one with God. 
Isaiah has been cleansed by God's grace through the provision of a sacrifice. And we're going to come back to that idea of sacrifice a bit later. We're going to, we're going to see why that's so important. Um, because of a sacrifice that's happened, Isaiah can stand in God's presence. And with cleansed lips, he can speak on God's behalf. Uh, which brings us to our next point. Isaiah has been convicted, he's been cleansed, and now he's commissioned. Isaiah tells us, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Uh, now the us here might be referring to the, the seraphim who are worshipping God. It might, might be a reference to the, the other members of the Trinity. Um, either way, Isaiah pipes up at this moment. He, he says to God, here am I, send me. And so God gives him the instructions that are, that are going to underlie his whole ministry. Um, God says to Isaiah, go and tell my people I sent you. They'll listen to you and they'll worship me. Actually, he doesn't, he doesn't say that to him. This, this is what God actually says to him. Go and tell this people. Interesting, it doesn't say my people, this people. Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. What's going on here? What's going on? I don't think God wants Isaiah to, to literally go and tell the people of Judah not to believe. Rather, he's, he's saying to Isaiah, you're going to faithfully speak my words to them, but they're not going to believe your message. They're not going to understand it. I'd heal them and I'd forgive their sin if they did. But they won't. Uh, by clearly proclaiming to them about God, Isaiah is showing, as we heard in the All Ages spot just before, that, that the people are utterly guilty for rejecting him. It's kind, of, it's kind of underlining their guilt. They've had their chance to respond. They've had the chance to turn back to God. But they've chosen not to. God intends for, for Isaiah's message only to, to further harden the hearts of those who hear it. Um, which, which sounds a bit harsh to us, doesn't it? Perhaps even sounds a bit unfair. Uh, but God is giving them over to their decision to reject him. God is showing that judgment has to happen. He's given his people every chance and they still haven't repented. So Isaiah asks, how long, Lord? How long? How long do you want me to proclaim a message to, to people that are just going to keep ignoring it? A couple of days, a week, a month? This is God's answer. Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants. Until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. Uh, so in other words... Until judgment comes. That's how long. Until there's no chance left to repent. Uh, the chapter does end with just a little bit of hope, though. God tells Isaiah that even though the, the judgment on Judah is going to be catastrophic, 
that just, just as the terebinth and oak leaves leave stumps when they're cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Now, a few gardening metaphors coming, to, coming together here, but the point God is making is that even though the giant tree that was, that was God's people has been cut down to just a bare stump, there's a new people that are going to emerge from that stump. A holy seed is going to, to grow. God's people are going to regrow. God isn't done with his people just yet. He's a God who, who calls people to him, a God who delights when people respond to him. And we saw that back in verse 10, didn't we? Where God said, if you turned, I would heal you. And we saw it in Matthew chapter 13 as well, the first Bible reading that Suz brought for us. So Jesus has just told a parable about seeds that get sown on different types of ground. Some of it produces growth, some of it doesn't. And basically Jesus is explaining to his disciples that some people will hear God's word and respond to it. Others will hear God's word and they'll reject it. They'll ignore it. And Jesus tells them that, that when people reject the word, it's exactly what God told Isaiah all those years ago was going to happen. Um, he, he even quotes the Isaiah passage there. Um, but he also tells them that there are going to be people who do believe. Uh, right at the end, Jesus says, but the seed falling on good soil, so the, the, the word of God that people hear, refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Um, so the story about the seeds is it's all about how people respond to Jesus himself. Because God's plan to save people from judgment happens through him, through Jesus. Uh, and so Jesus is preparing his disciples for how people are going to respond when they tell people about him just like God prepared Isaiah all those years earlier. Uh, Isaiah's commissioning points us to the message about Jesus that's going to go out later. Uh, in fact, it points us to, to Jesus' ministry as a whole. Uh, because when God asks who will go to the people on his behalf and face rejection, well, at first it's Isaiah who goes. I, Isaiah says, I'll go. Uh, but 700 years later, it's Jesus who goes. It's Jesus who humbles himself and comes down to us. Not like Isaiah as a, as a sinful person among, among sinful people, but as God's perfect son to, to face rejection, suffering, and ultimately death. And his death would be the sacrifice that brings this atonement, the sacrifice that, that takes away our sins and makes us right with God. So Isaiah's vision, it points us to the, the cleansing that Jesus has made possible for all of us. Uh, so in the, the human, crucified, resurrected Jesus, we see all of the beauty of God. His perfect human life takes the, the unimaginable glory of Isaiah's vision and, and puts flesh and bones on it. In fact, we're even told in, in John's Gospel that it was the glory of Jesus that Isaiah saw that day. 
Uh, which means that if we, if we know Jesus, then, then we have seen God's glory, as, as John tells us as well. We, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. Uh, so Isaiah's vision and his commissioning, they're there to, to prepare us for Jesus. And what that means for us is that a life of following Jesus means being convicted, being cleansed, and being commissioned. It means seeing the glory of the Father and the Son. It means seeing how how awesome and beyond us God is, recognizing our own sin, recognizing who God is and who we are. Uh, realizing that God isn't lucky to have us following him. It's only by his sheer grace and mercy that he welcomes us. And it means knowing the cleansing that we've received in Jesus. Um, Our guilt is taken away, not not by us trying harder and harder and harder to to do good and and to please God, but it's taken away by Jesus taking it all on himself, on the cross. And so for us to come to God, a sacrifice is needed. It's not, it's not just about us being better, a sacrifice is needed. Which means that, like Isaiah, we, we have no room for pride whatsoever. It's only when we understand the seriousness of our sin that we, that we can truly understand the beauty of God's grace. And finally, a life of following Jesus means that we are sent to proclaim the same message that saved us. A message that's going to bring both rejection, but also response as well. A message that is going to confirm some people in their rejection of God and the judgment that it brings on them. But a message which God is going to use to grow his kingdom as more and more people come to believe and follow Jesus. And as we go about trying to lead people to Jesus, we're going to find that some people have no interest whatsoever. They don't want to hear about it. They'll reject the message. Some people, they might look like they're taking steps in the right direction, but then they fall away. But some will believe. Some will believe. They'll build their lives on Jesus And they'll be saved. Those are the responses that Jesus tells us that we're to expect. How long do we proclaim this message for? Well, like Isaiah, as long as we have the opportunity, as long as there's still time, as long as we have the opportunity to rescue people from the coming judgment by showing them just how awesome Jesus is, by showing them what he's done for us and showing them how much they need him. I find this a really challenging commission, just personally. Um, I, I find it hard. We're going to face rejection along the way. We're going to face discouragement along the way as well. Um, I've got a brother and, and two brothers-in-law who have heard about Jesus, grown up going to church, but, but decided uh, so far to, to reject him. And I, tr- I try and make it a habit to pray for those guys every day. And sometimes I wonder, am I still going to be praying the same prayer in 50 years' time, waiting for God to answer it? Uh, Last Sunday, a number of us took flyers 
inviting people to our church and, and we drop them off in letterboxes all around our surrounding neighbourhood. Um, we've got a few spare packs left if anyone wants to do it today as well. Um, between us, 5,000 people are going to, to find out that we're here on a Sunday and that they're welcome to join us. Now, the reality is, I hate, I hate to put a dampener on it, but the reality is that, that most people are going to ignore those flyers. Some of them because they already have a church that they go to, but most of them because they're just not interested. But if one person, one person sees the flyer, gives us a visit and comes to know Jesus, then I think we'll all agree that it was worth the effort. Uh, at Seek, our, our Friday night youth group, we, we do dinner each week. So someone from one of our churches comes along and kindly prepares dinner for us each week. Um, a couple of weeks ago, the, the lady who was cooking dinner for us was, was a lady who started coming along to, to one of the other churches in our network a year ago because she got a flyer in her letterbox. She wasn't going to church, but she got a flyer in her letterbox, and now she's coming along every week. So God is able to use our efforts even when the odds of success seem really low to us. Now, in all likelihood, most people who we share about Jesus with uh, are going to politely or impolitely reject the message. That's been my experience. It's possibly it's been your experience as well. But we can't put a price value on someone coming to faith and being saved for eternity. That's worth a lot of rejection. Uh, so if you've put your trust in Jesus, you know the King. We know him. We've seen his glory. We know how awesome he is. We know that he's saved us by his own blood. He's called us to follow him and he's commissioned us into his service as he builds his kingdom and he will build his kingdom. Uh, we've got a mission prayer night that's happening tonight. We're, we're doing this because there are countless people in our lives, in our communities, people that we know and love, people all around the world who desperately need to hear about Jesus and respond to him. And we're doing it because we absolutely depend on God to see people come to know Jesus. We can't do it on our own. We need to pray. And so will you come along tonight and join us in praying? Will you keep coming to God in prayer? Will you keep bringing before God the people who need to know Jesus as long as it takes? Uh, will you do your best to, to do something every week to lead people to Jesus? And um, Whether that's dropping flyers off in a letterbox, whether that's catching up with a, a friend or a workmate and, and just trying to build that relationship a little bit further. Uh, and as we run events... At church, as we, as we do our beach walk next week, as we do our Christmas in July next month, our big question series coming up, our Christmas carol service, our next life series, will you be thinking and praying about who you can invite along to these? Are you prepared to risk rejection on the chance that someone might come to know Jesus? And important question to finish with, are you doing this not out of a sense of, of guilt or, or obligation or, or a sense that this is something that you, that you need to be doing better? But are you doing it because the king has saved you and the king has called you into his service as he builds his kingdom? Let's pray. 
our gracious and merciful God. Our unworthiness is, is laid bare when we see just a glimpse of your holiness. And yet through your Son, we have been cleansed and commissioned for your service. And we thank you for that. And we pray that you would go ahead of us as we declare to others the message that has brought us life. And we ask that by your grace, we might see more and more people in our lives, in our community and beyond, hear about Jesus, believe in Jesus and be saved. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.